This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. This is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This month, we are taking a look back at Miracle on 34th Street to determine if our nostalgia is warranted. So, right up top, this is another Boys' Night episode. Uh, Sarah will not be joining us. She is just not feeling well right now. We wish her all the best, but we're going to power through without her. Uh, Also, this is not a film I had nostalgia for. It's actually a film I had never seen before, oh, but it's one that has always been in like the back of my mind. It's a like, classic Christmas film, and because of this podcast, I finally got around to viewing it. Well, you know, I have no nostalgia for it either, because I also had never seen it before, so that kind of <laughs> gets rid of the whole nostalgia point of this episode. I mean, this could be a blind watch episode. We didn't plan it to be. I think Sarah has definitely seen it before. Sarah has seen every movie ever, apparently, so... Well, no, Mark, we've done two blind watches for uh. this podcast. She couldn't possibly have seen those. That's the rule. All right. Uh, so since I brought this one to the table, I'm going to do a 60-second synopsis, which is almost guaranteed to go over 60 seconds. Uh, but Mark, if you can grab a timer and give me a countdown, I'll go ahead and do that. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have a timer. Three, two, one, go. Chris Kringle believes he is Santa, and at the Cole's Thanksgiving Day Parade, he is chosen out of the crowd by special events director of Cole's Dorothy Walker to be Santa after he fires the previous Santa for intoxication. He does a fantastic job and gets hired at the flagship store to be Santa throughout the Christmas season, much to the dismay of Cole's rival, Shoppers Express. Dorothy's young daughter, Susan, is brought by a neighbor, Brian Benson, to come see Santa, and despite knowing the truth, begins to believe in Chris. Benson is berated by Dorothy for bringing Susan without permission. He asks her... And he asks her out, but is rebuked. Later, she relents, and Kringle is hired to babysit, and Susan asks him for her Christmas wish to prove he's really Santa. Meanwhile, uh, on the date, Benson proposes and is told off by Dory. Shoppers Express hires the Santa Kringle replaced to berate him and stage an attack, defaming Kringle as he is arrested and sent to a mental hospital. Kringle is put on trial to determine his mental capability, represented by Benson, and after a few days of trial, is determined to be sane based upon belief. On Christmas, Susan is surprised by getting everything she wanted, a dad, a new house, and a baby brother on the way. Oh, just under the wire. (laughs) Oh, boy. I was holding Ooh. it up and kept getting closer and closer to the camera when the time was getting close. That that was helpful, though the times that I did check were the exact times that I stumbled over my words. So maybe but helpful, still maybe not. Barely, so. Yeah, I think that goes to show how very simple this movie is. Like, there's there's not a lot of plot per se in that you kind of see where it's going and there's maybe two storylines, but neither one is really nuanced or developed. I mean, it's, you would say, similar to a Hallmark Christmas movie where there's a love story and you know something mm-hmm. bad is going to happen that makes them mad at each other and then magically they'll get together story. at the end. 
Yeah, we we will get by measures to the love story in this film. Um, but let me say the thing. We are going into long form. What did we see as adults that we may have missed as, ch- as childs? No, children. <laughs> Which for both of us is everything. Like, I understood this movie to be like, uh, Santa on trial. Like, I had heard enough about this film to have an understanding that Santa was going to be put on trial. Is this the real Santa? But I thought the film would be more direct in telling the audience whether or not this was Santa. Do we Should we specify um, that this was in 1994 movie? I don't... Yes. Because there is the one from, whatever year, 47, I think? That sounds correct. Something in the 40s, I believe, uh, was the original, maybe the original, I don't know if that 1947, was. 1947, I have a memory sometimes. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know how much the stories are different, but I think you had kind of looked into that because you have both of the movies now. I remember seeing parts of the original one in the past and thinking that it was really boring. And I don't know if I had ever finished the whole thing. And then when this one was remade in the 90s, I don't think I had ever bothered to watch it because I remembered not liking the original one. So, uh, but yeah, it the, the plot is pretty basic and easy to predict, I think, for most people. But I think as a holiday film, everyone's expecting a feel-good movie. And so even if you can predict what it's going to be, it's kind of what you expect. Yeah, I mean, this film does a lot of things well. Like, the the actor they get to portray a man who may or may not be the real Santa does a great job. I can see why he did so well when being the, uh, the Cole Santa sitting in a chair and interacting with children. I can see why kids would be drawn to him. I can see why he would be the best Santa in town. Because he does a really fantastic job. What His name is what? Richard Attenborough? Richard Attenborough, who you may know from being that guy in that other movie. <laughs> wow. Way to be specific. Yes, exactly. Um, he but was he so the guy in Jurassic Park. Right. Uh, he's so charming and so nice, and uh, I could see being charmed by him. Uh, in basically anything he does, which makes it so hard in this film when, like, he is pushed to anger because he doesn't seem the type of person who would be angry at somebody. But that's a vital point in the plot. And something that you started bringing up, which I kind of cut you off when I talked about the older version of the movie, but I guess, yeah, it never fully comes out and says, yes, this is Santa Claus. No, it wasn't. It kind of leaves it open to the audience. Even though his name is Kris Kringle and he is able to help all these people out, at the end, Susan gets what she wanted for Christmas, but was it really his doing? I guess it kind of was because he's the one that made them get the house. But it was... <laughs> but it doesn't say that it was like Santa Claus magic. It could have just been him intervening on their behalf. Right. The thing I was looking for was all I would have needed to fulfill my desires or my expectations to this film is like a very last scene where we get the wink and a nod and like we see a, a tiny bit of magic. 
or see him oh, like go by on his sleigh or something before right. the end credits or something. <laughs> Though, I guess to this film's point, one of the major themes is Santa is something you have faith in. And it, the culmination of the film has the entire city of New York professing their belief in Santa Claus. So whether or not this man is Santa, they believe Santa is good and that this man is good because he is Santa? Yeah, I I, that's the, you know, well, we're kind of, uh, as usual, hopping all over, but he goes to trial to determine his sanity, and uh, the defense basically is, well, would you rather believe in something good and believe that Santa exists, or go on in the world saying that this is not, that Santa doesn't exist and there is no magic in the world, and I guess every, everybody just decided, well, we better believe because it makes us feel good, so that means this guy must be real. Like, the, the thing that he asked the judge to do is to pursue justice over truth, whereas I don't know if that's the right call. But I guess that's the discussion that the film wants to present. Anyway, um, we can get to some of the differences between uh, this and the previous one. And I have not seen the previous one. I did download it, but I never got around to watching it. The One of the major differences is that Coles in this remake from 1994, they changed the name because it was just Macy's. Like, at the beginning of this movie, they have the Coles yeah. Thanksgiving Day Parade, and I wrote in my notes, is this an allegory for Macy's? And <laughs> yes, it's a direct allegory, and in the original film, it was just Macy's. Likewise, the competitor in this film that defames Chris is called Shoppers Express, and in the original, it was Gimbel's, which was a well-known rivalry between Macy and Gimbel's, and in fact, uh, Chris manages throughout the film to make those two stores work together even though they're bitter rivals. Also, for some reason, the name for Dorothy's... Oh, I guess the name of Dorothy and her neighbor, um, Brian Benson, uh, in this film were originally Fred Gailey and Doris Walker. You said... Is Do you said Dorothy? Is that the mother? I don't that remember. Is the the, mother. I don't remember them ever saying her name. But when I looked up like plot for the movie, I thought they called her Dory. Yes. And... So in the film, they do call her Dory. Uh, I was looking at the Wikipedia page. They introduced the character as Dorothy. I think it's just Dory's a nickname. So I I think I, this was off air when I was mentioning that there were a lot of faces in this movie that I recognized. I probably couldn't tell you their names or remember most of the other things that they were in. But I know that they were all actors that I have seen in things before, especially throughout the 90s, I suppose, when most of them were probably at their peak. Though the main guy that I don't remember his name either, the love interest, is, oh, I think, McDermott? was capitalizing on the popularity of Friends. <laughs> just oh, <laughs> interesting. I could definitely see that. So you, um... He, he just was doing looks a Ross. like a clone of yeah of Ross. Just the 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 hairstyle, and I think he has the same color eyes and everything. I don't think his mannerisms are necessarily Sorry. the same. It took me it took me a second to yes, think of the David name, Schwimmer. but yes, he is he is a Dylan McDermott in this film is very much a David Schwimmer clone. Ah, it took me a while to is piece that the, together the, that the character's name, Dylan. No, Dylan McDermott is the real actor who is playing Brian. 
see all these names that's i probably maybe wasn't paying enough attention but i don't remember any of them having names other than susan and that's Chris why Kringle. i take notes <laughs> i i don't take notes so we have to get to a lot of the wild things in this film uh the first of which is so my understanding is we have this apartment store called Coles, which is a apparently a multinational chain of stores that is struggling and is about to go out of business. And the thing that saves them is they get an actor kind of looks like our interpretation of Santa Claus, who saves the store through his celebrity. <laughs> like, the extent to which people know this guy... As the Coles Santa Claus, and the extent to which he becomes famous so much that, like, he is put on the news uh, as being, like, the best Santa in town. The extent to which, like, people are flocking to this specific branch of this specific store as opposed to all the other Santa Clauses around the city. Like, this film vastly overestimates how much a low-level employee in a department store would become well, a celebrity. And the thing... <laughs> the, the way he started getting... Well, I guess, first of all, the parade, everybody saw him and said, wow, he's a good Santa Claus, which, I mean, yeah. any, any person that looks <laughs> a little bit larger with a white beard, you could probably say looks like a good Santa Claus. So I don't know from a parade perspective how anyone would know, but... One of the first times you see him talking to a kid in the store, the kid tells him what he wants, and the mother says, Oh, well, don't tell him that you're going to give him that, because it's too expensive. And he says, Oh, you know, if you go to this other store, you can buy it for at a discount. And that, like, one of the ways he starts getting famous is because he's willing to send people to a different store, and the customers are like, Oh, well... If you're willing to tell us the best prices, even if you're not getting it yourself, that must mean you're a really reliable and honest store, and we all want to shop here. But then they're all going other places because it's cheaper somewhere else, so I don't know what they're buying at Kohl's if <laughs> that's yeah, helping I was the store. Very, so I was very confused as to how uh, there's a, a woman who comes up to the manager of Chris after he's taken the Santa's job in Kohl's, and she tells the manager, almost as if she's filing a complaint, mm -hmm. that the that Santa told me where to get what I wanted for a cheaper price, even though it wasn't here. And then, like, the manager gets upset, because of course he does. He's driving away business. But as she explains it, it shows that your company really cares about the parent more than the sale. And so you've won my loyalty as a customer. Because your store cares about me, I'll pay more because you care. And which the, the, mm. then the other store, whatever their their big rival, Express Toy Shoppers Company, Express. Um, is decides. Oh well, hey, if if people are, they're getting popularity because of that, why didn't we think of it first? And it's like uh -huh. because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> because <laughs> but, it drives away business. I mean, I guess it's worth it to know. So my only understanding of what how this could benefit Coles is one you br you build brand loyalty, which is a a real thing where like if you're looking for something, you'll go to them first 
and they'll try to find the price. The other thing is if you are aware and you've done the research for all your competitors' prices, you can undercut them. You're selling things for cheaper, but you're getting the business and taking and, and it see, away from your competitor. That would make sense too. It's well, like if if you find it cheaper somewhere else, we'll match their price or beat it for you. Right. But not saying, "Hey, uh, we'll tell you where to get it for cheaper if you don't want to pay for it here." Just seems a little bit backwards. Yeah, it wasn't fully fleshed out in this, but the decision that Chris made to help parents over the people that were employing him is something that could have really backfired for him. <laughs> but as they repeatedly say in the film, he is their only hope to make the business survive. Like, to me, this is wild because Kohl's, which is basically Macy's, is a nationwide chain. It might even be international. And they're failing so much that the Christmas boost from their flagship store in New York will save the business? I, I don't know. The other thing that didn't really track for me is, like, Shoppers Express is presented as the quote-unquote bad department store. And Macy's or Kohl's is represented as the good department store. But... There's no real difference from them, except that one of them hired Chris before the other. Like, if Shoppers yeah. Express had approached him before Coles did, he would have just worked for Shoppers Express. I mean, because at one point, some people approach him on the street and try to coax him into working for their store instead. And, of course, they have that, that's the whole 90s obvious bad guy where, oh, your hair is all slicked, black, slicked back and dark colors and you wear a dark trench coat and so you must be the bad guy. But I think it's kind of the same as, um, like, Elf, where you've got the business guy, uh, Greenway who's in charge of the company and all he wants is to make money and he doesn't care if his people have to work on Christmas Eve and etc. And I, I, they didn't really discuss, you know, hours or working on Christmas or anything, but it was just where he's the business guy that's only concerned with the business and making money, which I think would be true of the people at Kohl's also. They just don't really go into it that much. They focus more on the people. Right. Yeah, it's... Well, they say they focus on the people, right. which is, that's what the business tries to convince all their customers of, that they have their best interests in mind, when, of course, that is never true in a capitalist society. You convince your customers of that to get their business, but you, in the end, you're going to make money as best you can, which was a huge surprise to me when later in the film, um, when Chris Kringle is defamed, he's put on the news for having attacked a man on the street. And of course, the news reports it wrongly that he was a he attacked the man without provocation and hit him multiple times. Both of those is incorrect. But he is put on trial for his mental sanity. And Macy's or Cole's backs him uh, where they initially didn't plan to. But Dory is able to convince them. Well, we've built a reputation about caring about our people. And if we don't step up and care about this person, well, aren't we just lying? It's just like, yes. Yes, you are lying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and back to your point about beating the guy. It was... So, they they put him on trial for his sanity. Was that... So, was the sanity because of the beating, or because he believed that he was Santa Claus? 
So he's put on trial for his mental capacity because he is taken to jail when he attacks the guy and then uh, put over to a mental hospital to test his capacity. And he intentionally fails oh, the yeah, test. That's... that's the thing is he failed it on purpose because he believed by attacking that man, he was going against the spirit of what he is or is trying to represent. He understood that Santa is not a violent person and him being violent, maybe he shouldn't be Santa. And so maybe he should be insane. Uh, and then Brian, his lawyer slash Dorothy's neighbor, uh, is able to convince him, well, no, Santa's still worth believing in and you can still be this symbol. But we've to do that, we've got to get through this trial. And I believe in you. So the city of New York should believe in you. So I guess we haven't really even talked about Susan yet, but I if you have another thing to if you have another point to make, you can... oh not not about uh, the absurdity of a single worker saving an entire <laughs> multinational corporation. Uh, I was going to get to characters, and Susan's a fine enough one to start with. Susan is a girl. <laughs> yes. Um, so she's fantastic. She's basically the main character here, played by that girl that Mara was Mara in. Wilson, who our audience would know as Matilda. Uh, also, the young girl in Mrs. Doubtfire. She's got the cute factor going for her. I don't know if I necessarily always believe her acting. I guess I will say, but yeah, but she is. You know, she's like the perfect little cute kid actor from the 90s, so... Right. It works. Um, but her whole deal was that she doesn't think she believes in Santa Claus because her mom doesn't believe in it and has always taught her not to. Well, it's interesting you mention her her cute factor and that it works in this film. Because I, I do agree with you that Mara Wilson as a child, was an incredibly adorable child. Though part of her charm for Matilda and um, Miss Doubtfire is that when she smiles, she brightens up the screen. And that's, to me, what is so endearing about interacting with children or being around children is that they are so easy to make happy. And they are so overwhelmingly happy that it just fills a room with joy. And in this film, she is playing a cynical child who is hardly ever happy. And so, majority of the film, we're watching a very adorable young child just be sad most of the time. And that's hard to watch. But I think that's the point. It is the point, but it also doesn't make for a great viewing experience. I don't know. For me, she was much more fun to watch in other films. It seemed the character's not having a lot of fun, which makes it hard for me to have fun watching that character. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I wasn't blown away by the acting anyway, but <laughs> I wouldn't say she stole scenes that she was in like she might have in some other movies. Because of what you said, <laughs> where she, you know, if she's smiling and happy, she's lighting up a room, but she's not really in this movie until the very end basically but i think that's on purpose you get all of the depression from it and you don't as an audience you don't want to see the small child being depressed all the time yeah and i guess if i hadn't had other movies of hers to compare to this one it maybe wouldn't have made much of an impact on me uh though part of what part of the the one reaction I love seeing from Mara Wilson is when she is being like 
mischievous or like she has a secret like the joyous smirk that she gets is just so adorable to see and she's not given a chance to display that here and i think the film misses has a missed opportunity because of it well I, again at the very end yeah with the the the, After uh, the they christmas get the house card and everything yeah yeah oh see i was thinking about the christmas card that she delivers to a judge in the mm. middle of a trial that which oh that's super not procedure <laughs> nope <laughs> Boy, so we have to get to a lot of weird things going on in this film. But before we get to the things I don't like, I think it's well worth it to discuss the things I did like. Uh, we had talked about uh, the Santa Claus in this, played by Richard Attenborough. Amazing. The people of New York react to him more than they should, but like he is also doing a fantastic job. I also really like the mother in this. Um, Dorothy Wilson, I think is the character's name. I don't have the actress in front of me, but she definitely portrays like an exasperated mother who is trying to have it all doing the best that she can in a career, but also trying to provide for her daughter alone and also trying to have a relationship and just the, the struggle and exasperation that I would expect from a character like that is portrayed perfectly in this film like in most scenes i'm siding with her if i'm not siding with chris and being an adult i think i side more with her the realist than i do with chris the guy who is living in make-believe yeah well is he a make-believe or is he actually santa claus well, but yeah, I the film leaves that up to know, interpretation. And a few things we've done in this podcast that I remember liking as kid, uh, as a kid, <laughs> but where I sided with the children in the movie, and now watching it again, I'm like, oh, I can totally see where those adults are coming from. Those kids are being jerks, stuff like that. And it's maybe not exactly the same in this one, but I can see, you know, you're a single parent, you're trying to raise a kid, but you're also trying to have a dating life, and you're also trying to do your job at the business. There's just a lot of stuff going on that she's trying to handle all at the same time, and, you know, you have your own beliefs that you've come up with, and that's usually how you're going to try to raise your children, so... Mm -hmm. To your point, I think in this film, it would be the uh, children watching it would side with Chris Kangle. They want him to be Santa Claus. They're going to project their interpretation of Santa Claus onto the character, and they won't understand why Dorothy doesn't believe in him. Whereas I think adults watching the film are going to side more with Dorothy, who is, you know, a realist and knows that this man isn't really santa claus as much as he would like to be uh but she's also in a difficult position because she has a young daughter who wants to believe in santa even though she doesn't and there's conflict between that and i think adults especially adults with children will understand that conflict going well, on there. and then she's even got her boyfriend who is kind oh, of we in, will... he's entertaining the idea and trying to promote the belief of Santa Claus in the little girl and even though the mother has told him that she doesn't want that so we will get to him <laughs> um i have a lot of mm, things about him um though the um the dichotomy between what 
the character that children are going to side with and the character that the adults are going to side with is often played off as like one is perceived as the hero of the film, one is perceived as the villain. And a lot of times for children's films, the ones that adults would sign with is the villain. In this film, the great thing about this dichotomy is that they're both trying to get along. Like they're trying to work together to make something special for children. And while Dorothy's goal is also to profit off of this special thing that they are making, like, it's interesting to see characters who have completely different beliefs working together in this film, as opposed to being put up against each other in a hero-villain situation. There was one scene where they had this whole conversation about it, because he was trying to convince her, well, what... Uh, what makes you think that I'm not Santa Claus? And then she kept kind of, she didn't, I don't know that she ever actually straight out came out and said anything, but she was trying to like work around it and explain, well, here's all the reasons that Santa Claus can't be real and why you shouldn't, why you aren't him. And I just found you on the street and gave you the job. And it was interesting because at the end, like you said, they didn't, they weren't really fighting about it, but they had their different opposing beliefs as as part of the film but they were able to work together to get past that and really help someone else the fact the fact that she doesn't uh come right out and say well you can't be santa claus i think is something true about the character that they're making where she's his boss she needs him to do a good job and I think she believes he'll do a good job as long as he believes he's the real Santa. And so I think telling him outright, you're not really Santa, one, is telling a possibly uh, psychotic person (laughs) that their psychosis isn't real, which is not something you want to do. And also it's... It would directly influence his performance that she is profiting off of. So what, I mean, there, I think they, they her had a conversation once. Is true to the character. That is, I think the conversation you're talking about is when they were putting together, um, like a live commercial with Chris Kringle on TV for something, and he's getting dressed for that, and they meet kind of in the dressing room. Is that the the one where he talks about? Uh, you have to have something to believe in or your life will be dominated by doubt. Yeah, um, I think, well, because there were a couple different times. There was one time, I think this was that one you're saying, was, was the one I was talking about, but I think it came after another conversation when he, when she realized that he thought he was actually Santa Claus. And she, I thought she went to the board or some someone at the company and was saying, well, this guy is crazy, don't we need to do something about him? And they said, well, why would we? If he really thinks he's Santa Claus, he's doing a good job of it out there in the store and making us money. So I think she tried to get him help help <laughs> or or something and the company decided not to oh. and then she kind of went along with them so yeah there's a real moral problem in this um where if they truly believe this man is insane uh and believes him to be a mystical sprite uh but isn't actually santa they are profiting off of his belief and specifically not giving him help because he's bringing in business. And that's not great. <laughs> but I think even in the case where she was trying to bring it to the board to tell them that, well, he thinks he's really Santa, I think she was trying to protect Coles from 
potential backlash as opposed to trying to get Kringle help. Right. I don't I I don't think it was specifically to help him. It was more just that she was explaining what was wrong and trying and trying to say, well, maybe we don't want this guy working here anymore. And the the board, whoever board company whoever it was, decided, well, if he's bringing in, helping us make money and bringing in customers, what do we care? <laughs> so. Uh, so I said we were going to get to the neighbor, Brian Benson, and since we're on characters, now is a good time. I hate it, this guy. <laughs> this guy, oh boy, he is... So much of his scenes were just kind of cringeworthy. So I understand their relationship to be. He is Susan's neighbor, Oh, not Susan, uh, Dorothy's neighbor. I suppose Susan's neighbor as well, because she lives with Dorothy. Dorothy's her mom, um, <laughs> who occasionally helps out and will watch Susan if Dorothy is working late. You described him as a boyfriend. I don't think that relationship existed before the film. I was trying to source that out See, in the I, beginning. Yeah, I guess I never really... I just kind of assumed that they were a thing because you had a guy watching your daughter and he even mentioned to the daughter about how he wants, what was it? Or the daughter, Susan said to him something about how he wants to kiss her or something right way at the beginning. So I thought that there was already something going on, but especially because later on he comes at her with a ring, you would think that there's already a relationship before that happens, but... But the thing about the ring situation is Dorothy says to him directly, have I ever given you any indication that I wanted to marry you? And the answer is no. No, she hasn't. So I think my understanding of this relationship is that he is a neighbor who helps out and will watch Susan if Dorothy needs it. And Dorothy is a single mother who's trying to have a successful career and will accept his help because she needs to. And she acknowledges that he is into her, but it's the type of thing where, like... But they go out together on purpose, which is why Chris ends up babysitting. Correct. And I have known... I mean, I know people who have been in relationships but never want to get married, even though they're together. So my understanding is, like, they are... They were dancing around maybe starting something for a very long time. And I think that's what Susan is kind of alluding to, because in her mind, they should be together. And so she, in her little kid ways, is trying to get them together. And I think both of them are kind of into the idea, but don't really know if it's going to work or not. And so they've just kind of danced around it without, like, being official. And later, I think the date that we see them go is like the first time that they're trying to be official because they part of what they do is they tour the city. They do some Christmas shoppings. And one of the big moments is when they hold hands uh, and then they kiss. And it does seem very much like this is not something they normally do, like this is a special thing for them. And so it does very much seem like the thing that they've been dancing around, they're going to give it a real shot here. But then Brian whips out a ring, which is crazy to do on a first date. And later, uh, he talks to Kringle about it, and Kringle says, well, maybe your timing wasn't the best. (laughs) Which leads me to believe... They have not discussed this before, and I don't think their relationship was 
any sort of official before this date. And this man is insane. Um, he is particularly insane because when she tells him, I'm not interested in marrying you and reacts to him like he's a crazy person, he has this whole long speech, which is very much like a guy that's been in the quote unquote friend zone for a really long time and has wanted to make stuff real, but but that would make it, perfect the girl sense doesn't in the want relationship it. you're describing. So the things he says, I wrote down. He says, "But, but, but, I love your daughter like she's my own," which is a weird thing because yeah. she's not his own. And I've, I have loved you, getting nothing in return, never asking for anything, and I put my faith in you. It's just like, dude, she's turned you down before, and yeah, you kept your feelings for her, but like, she doesn't owe you anything because you think the relationship would work. I don't know. He struck me as a real creeper in that moment. <laughs> I, well, <clears throat> based on your understanding of their relationship, it sounds, mm -hmm. and now you're saying it sounds like a guy in the friend zone, which sounds like it fits the character exactly. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. He's a it doesn't he's it doesn't make it, it better that he says those things, but it fits the character, I suppose. Yeah, and like. Uh, I get that the film wants these, this is the relationship that we're supposed to respond to as a viewer. Like, this is the relationship we are supposed to believe in, a relationship that could work. But Dorothy's not into this relationship. Like, she doesn't seem to want to pursue Brian romantically, and seems to only have her, have him in her life because she kind of needs him because she's raising a child on her own. It's interesting, though, that you say that because... Later on, they end up at a church and get married with not haven't I think not having talked to each other basically yeah. since this fight. So. Oh boy! Oh boy! That was weird. <laughs> uh, but that is towards the end, and we can get to it. Uh, the other thing that bothered me about Brian is when uh, Susan meets Chris Kringle for the first time. It is Brian bringing her to see Santa Claus. Even though her mom has told her, well, Santa Claus isn't real. Um, and then after they do this and the mom shows up, she takes Brian aside and said, if I wanted her to see Santa, I would have brought her to see Santa. Especially because she's in charge of the store. Like The fact that Brian took it upon himself to bring a child that isn't him to see Santa against the parents' wishes is really strange to me now like i guess it definitely seems like he's overstepping his bounds does he know that it's against her wishes at that point like i guess if if she is leaving her child in the care of another person and he's just taking care of her for the day maybe he's like well this is a thing that kids do i'll just bring her to see santa unless he was aware of the fact that she didn't want during during the parade, they have a discussion about Santa, and Susan does say, my mom says Santa isn't real. Yeah. And she believes Santa isn't real, but Brian wants her to believe because that's important to him. And so it seems very much like Brian is trying to force his belief onto Susan, With, yeah, and knowing as, that the mom doesn't support as... it. Not being the father of the child, I guess it... I mean, despite wanting them to grow up having this fun thing, you know, it's not really, I guess, your place 
to <laughs> try yeah. to usurp the parents' beliefs that they instill in their children. It Yeah, it's as if Susan was an atheist because Dorothy's an atheist, and Brian brought her to church to try to make her believe in God. Like, that's not his place to teach Susan about. If the mom thought it was important, she would teach Susan about it. I don't know. It's... It's very strange. I think this would have made way more sense if we changed the type of character Brian is. With him just being a neighbor, this is way over the line. And that's why I thought they were already a thing. Right. I think if they had explained that he is he is Susan's biological father and they decided not to be together and like he gets visitation rights, or like he can pick her up after school, but he Susan doesn't live with him. It makes way more sense to me uh, for him to bring Susan to see Santa Claus, to share his beliefs with her, because then it's a part of a family. And it makes sense that Susan would want to see them together, because tr- children of divorce often want their parents to get back together. I think with that slight character change, it does make more sense for this film. It's just Mrs. Doubtfire at Christmas. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, I don't know. I So I think we have discussed in previous episodes where I tend to watch movies just to enjoy them as an escape from life and just have be entertained by a movie. So some of these things that you like to get into about personalities and what things should and should not be doing it kind of doesn't even occur to me until we start talking about it here because i'm just watching a movie to see the story that they put on for me and i don't really care about (laughs) delving that deep into it but i mean it it definitely again i i kind of assumed they were already a relationship but because of some of these things that we're talking about if they're not, it makes a lot less sense for him to just take it upon himself to try to convince this kid that Santa is real and you should not listen to these things that your mother is telling you and I'm gonna go take you to see Santa even if she doesn't want you to and stuff like that should not be happening if they are not in a relationship to begin with, so. Yeah, I like stories. (laughs) And I like dissecting stories to the point where, like, judging whether or not those stories are above board and whether or not the heroes that these stories represent are like if you're the hero of a story the listener the viewer is supposed to side with you even though some things you do are not entirely above board like in the context of the story you're the best person there you're doing everything right though in the context of reality Maybe you're overstepping your bounds, and maybe you're making the situation worse for a lot of the side characters that the story doesn't really pursue. I don't know. I like investigating the, I guess, the reality of the stories they're creating to find the the horrible things that these people (laughs) were supposed to like are doing. Although that happens a lot more often than you would like it to once you start thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole, uh, the example that keeps coming back to mind is John Mulaney's bit on Back to the Future. Where, like, if you try to explain the beginning of Back to the Future, how a high school boy's best friend is a failed nuclear scientist, it doesn't really hold together. I always wondered about that. All right, so we've talked about uh, characters. We talked about Chris and Brian and 
Dorothy and Susan. So I think it's time to get to the uh, the crux, what this film is leading to, kind of the climax of the film, which is the trial of Santa Claus. I again, I don't honestly remember a lot, but I my memory of the original, I feel like the whole movie takes place as the trial, and then like the rest of the story is flashbacks. I could be wrong. But I feel like this one you're that you're, would make for a more interesting. This story. way, you're halfway into the movie before the trial even gets there, and you've seen all the events leading up to it. Where the other one, I think, is kind of Santa's already on trial, and they're trying to prove his innocence or or his sanity or whatever. And then they start showing you like as the witnesses are describing what happened, they'll show you these scenes and. Yeah, I may have to check out the film, because that does sound like a way better structure for this film. I could be completely wrong, because I haven't seen it in years, but... The note I had on the trial, which is like, my understanding, this is the crux of the film. This is the thing that makes this film different than every other Santa film, is Santa is put on trial. And the trial in this film goes so quickly. Like, for... For my understanding of what trials are in film and media, if you have a trial episode of the TV show, the entire episode is the trial. If you've got a trial for a lawyer movie, basically the second act is where the trial begins and it'll carry through to the third act. Whereas this, we are way into the second act before the trial even begins. And I don't, and I, maybe this is not really the their explanation of it, but you see there is a scene where the DA is in there talking to the judge and making jokes like they are good friends who have known each other for a while, and they're just getting ready to be like, okay, well, this is a shut case, send him off to the loony bin or whatever, <laughs> and then... Brian walks in and's like, "Well, I'm representing this guy. We're gonna take it to trial." And it, I guess, was it actual? Did they say trial? Was it a hearing because there's no jury? Yes, it is up to the judge's discretion based on their arguments to decide whether or not this man should be committed. So to a maybe hospital. it wasn't a full trial, and that's why it's shorter. But. I mean, like, the, the DA guy, like, just assumes, well, he's already failed his sanity test and he believes he is Santa Claus, so he when they start the trial, he just gets up there and gives his little opening speech that takes, like, ten seconds, and he's like, well, I rest my case. I don't think he even wanted to call any witnesses. So. Yeah, which, like, if I was put in a situation where I had to determine whether or not somebody was under a belief of who they were that couldn't be possible, uh, and somebody was convinced they were Santa Claus, that's an open and shut case. If a, if a courtroom is where you determine the truth of something and try to determine, like, what should happen based upon that truth, then the truth of the matter is there is no Santa Claus. All adults in the film agree upon that point. And if there isn't a Santa Claus, this man cannot be Santa Claus. Therefore, he's, I mean, huh. I don't want to say he should be committed, which is maybe the argument that they're making in this film. Whether or not it's fine to believe you're Santa because that belief isn't harmful in and of itself? Well, is that, isn't that kind of how it came at the end? Well, he hasn't hurt anybody, it's just that he believes he is this guy, and this is a good person to believe you... If you're going to go insane and think you're you're somebody that doesn't exist, you might as well be somebody who's good to people and is always happy and helps other people. And 
I don't know. The trial to me is is interesting. This is one point in the film where I was on Brian's side because he's representing Chris Kringle and like he does a good job with his arguments that he's bringing to court. Now Chris keeps interrupting with his insanity <laughs> about how his workshop in the North Pole is invisible and that's why people visiting couldn't see it. And reindeers only fly on Christmas Eve, so I couldn't possibly make this one fly right now. But, like, Brian's arguments are pretty sound, and his strategy going into court is also pretty great, where he knows he cannot prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Santa exists. And so, he antagonizes the prosecutor to make the prosecutor go on the attack which means that the prosecutor has to prove beyond a shadow about that santa does not exist which is equally impossible but putting the onus upon the prosecutor means that he has an opportunity to win the case where if he tried to prove that just santa existed there's no way he could win that yeah like, like that is a sound legal strategy his his uh, was his first witness was to call the prosecutor's wife and ask them what they told their kids about who was bringing them presents for Christmas. <laughs> and then when she says, well, they, we said it would be Santa. And when he asks who told the kids, it was the prosecutor. And so it's... Of course it was. It's, uh, rather than trying to prove your point, which can't be proven, you're just trying to discredit the guy who's opposing you so that you can't prove that his side either oh yeah that was brilliant in that the man trying to prove that santa doesn't exist is also propagating the myth of santa claus i'm sure there's some term for that that uh, someone in the legal field could tell us <laughs> yeah though i think there's also a term for like things that are self-evident and don't need proof i think one of the things that would be self-evident to any competent adult is that santa doesn't exist though to correct you a little bit i think the wife is the second witness i believe the first witness he calls is just a random child oh yep that's yep i expected this child to be susan uh because that's a child that he knows and his mom or her mom was in the trial but no it's just some random kid we haven't met before i don't know where he got this child but the the questions he asked the child are do you see Santa in this room? Could you point him out for me? And of course he points to Chris Kringle. And just like, well, there you go. Person who knows what Santa is, knows what Santa looks like, clearly indicates well, and that's, my client is Santa. Because I think he said, well, how do you know that Santa? He says, because he looks like him. <laughs> right. He so. looks like the Coke, the, he looks like the interpretation of Santa Claus popularized by the Coca-Cola bland. Bland? Brand. The bland brand. Coca-Cola. <laughs> oh boy. Carl is on the Pepsi side, apparently. <laughs> I was always just a fan of Mountain Dew, which happens to be a Pepsi uh, product. Yeah, I, mm, well, uh, I was trying to think of, uh, we skipped over the whole beating part because you wanted to get to the trial, but the, 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 I guess, the way that even came about was because the original parade Santa Claus at the very beginning had been drinking before the parade and Chris was, what's the word? I want to say upset. Reprimanding. Not, yeah, reprimanding something. He was not happy that this guy was going to portray Santa as a drunk and was yelling at him about it and that guy lost his job because of it. Later on, the Express whatever company... <laughs> 
Shoppers <laughs> Express. <laughs> they, they went and found this guy who had been fired and talked him into the scheme of pretending to have been beaten up by Santa Claus, or by Kris Kringle, so right. so that they could get him discredited and, and make their rival store go out of business, or at least take a bunch of negative publicity. So it, I just think it was interesting how they were even able to go find this one guy who happened to get fired from a parade. Like, how do they even know who he was? But <laughs> well, they do find him at a Santa bar, which is something that I do believe could exist, but it's something <laughs> I've never seen before. Basically, where all of the mall Santas and department store Santas go to drink after a hard day's work of listening to children's demands for the Christmas season. Uh, and so it could just be that they asked around and found a bar with a lot of Santas and this Santa happened to be there. Now, how he got hired as Santa again somewhere is beyond me, because I <laughs> doubt that Coles would have given him a recommendation. Um, well, to be the... fair, though, they, they, did, they were, didn't even care about it until the police were actually about to arrest Chris for fighting with this guy, and then Dorothy showed up, and was somebody? Wasn't it Dorothy? Way at the beginning during the parade, somebody showed up and stopped him from getting arrested and ended up firing the other guy. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, so Chris was never going to be arrested during that. Basically, the cop was telling him, Hey, they're setting up the parade. I thought you were a part of this. You're not a part of this. You need to go beyond the barricade. But but he was in trouble because he was fighting with the guy. Well, Chris was in trouble, yes. He got the police... No, uh, the police or security was alerted because of the fight. And then security was like, Well, you're not even allowed to be here. Please go behind the barrier, sir. The parade's about to begin. Uh, and then... Dorothy comes and fires the guy because he's drunk and he falls off of the sleigh uh, because he can't whip. He can't whip it good. And the sleigh basically landed on him. I don't even know how he was still alive after that. Oh, yeah. This is a shoddy sleigh that he... All that happens is, like, he tries to whip, he trips and falls, basically sitting down upon the sleigh and sitting down somehow breaks the sleigh horribly. I don't know. Uh, but as far as the attack goes... Like, the the extent to which it is a setup is so clear that even the characters in the film can piece it together. Like, Brian, upon visiting Chris in the, the hospital, has seen the police report and knows that he was set up to take this fall. Because it's the uh, Shoppers Express, I want to say, VPs or lower executives um, walking around with a camera... The um, the Santa that was fired is antagonizing Chris on his walk home and questioning Chris's morality to the extent that he mentions uh, pedophilia and that Chris's only um, goal in being Santa was being able to get really close to children, which Chris feels is an attack on his morality and so he tries to get the guy to back away from him and strikes him with his cane. Now, the Shoppers Express people are waiting, so they're right there to take a photo. The Santa takes a dive, uh, and they must have called the police or had someone on standby, because the police are there in an instant. <laughs> um, and, like, police a bunch of people gather. Police are everywhere in New York, Carl. 
uh, and like people gather around this attack and the shoppers express people are like, Hey, aren't you Cole Santa Claus? And the people go, Oh my God, Cole Santa Claus. Yeah. Like they, everybody knows who that is apparently too. Oh, you're that guy who's Santa Claus. When he gets arrested, we see a news report on the attack, which we previously discussed why it's wrong, but also like, who cares? <laughs> why would this be on the news? And like, it is so important that the Cole Santa Claus has been arrested. That Cole says, we won't have a Santa for the rest of the day. We're not going to hire another Santa to be there because, well, Santa's been arrested. So we couldn't possibly get another Santa. The absurdity to which he has become a celebrity in this film. Uh, the, the most absurd thing... Oh, wait, we had talked about it. The most absurd thing is, like, the owner... Cole himself goes on TV to back a low-level employee that has become a PR nightmare. And then then everyone in town decides, because this department store believes in Santa Claus, we all better believe too. Banners all over the town and people protesting. Which, I mean, if you want to believe that the store actually cares about people is a really nice message that the president and CEO is going on the air to defend Santa Claus. But we see a scene where Dorothy has to convince him to do that. And really, the only reason he's doing it is they've placed all of their hopes on the company's success on this one man. And they can't go against him now, because then it'll be worse. They have to take a gamble that he's going to come out as not a crazy person from this trial i don't know the the morality guess, yeah, in you, this if you're capitalist... saying that you're going to back this guy and then it turns out that he is actually insane and gets put away right. what does that mean for your company it is a huge gamble and it seems like the only reason they're taking this enormous chance is that they're failing and this is the one chance to make their company a and because dorothy again. says they have to right <laughs> Uh, and it's just like, you guys should be better at business. Why is this man so important to your bottom line? Maybe be better at business. Anywho, we can get, we can go back to the trial where I like, I like the prosecutor's attempt in the second day. Cause like he asked for a recess cause he wasn't prepared to prove that Santa doesn't exist. Uh, and so the next day he comes back with some really good witnesses to ask questions to like one of them is both like a religious scientist but also like well versed in the the history of saints and he talks about saint nicholas who is the basis upon our belief in santa claus and how old that guy was and how the church no longer recognizes this guy as a saint uh and therefore i guess to prove the myth of santa claus came from a real person though that real person is ancient and couldn't possibly exist anymore. Uh, and then they also have a guy that's been to the North Pole and could tell you, based on eyewitness accounts, well, there's no factory up there. It's invisible, Carl. Of course it is. And then Brian got uh, an objection called against him because the prosecutor felt like he was being... He was making a mockery of the court by calling it his wife. And then the prosecutor the second day calls in a reindeer to the court, <laughs> which I think is a way bigger mockery of yeah. what court is. Then I forget what witnesses the defense calls. 
Did they call um, more? They call... I think I think the first day they had the kid and the wife, and that then they called for recess because he challenged yeah. the prosecutor. I don't know if they called anybody else. Yeah, I guess they didn't. It is it is weird seems... to me that he wouldn't even bother to ask Susan to come up there since it's somebody he knows and has interacted with before. But maybe because first of all he had just been turned down by the uh, Dorothy, but also. Um, because he knows that she's been taught not to believe in Santa. Maybe he figured it would yeah. go bad for him. <laughs> right. It has also surprised me that Chris is never put on the stand. Because yeah. for an audience, the proof that we are given that he is Santa is that he is an amazing gift for languages. Uh, and when Susan comes on his lap, he's able to speak like Swahili um, and maybe Russian. I, don't, I forget the and other he does language. sign language, too. Yes, that is for a, another deaf girl that comes. And so his claim that he goes around the world and has a lot of different names and needs to know the language around the world, that checks out. Though also in the mythos of Santa Claus, he should know every child's name because he's making a list. But for every child, he has to ask their name. Maybe so, that's like, just part of the charm of Santa. That doesn't <laughs> quite follow through. Yeah, so I'm surprised he isn't put on trial to, like, I wonder display... if it was like, well, he might, if if they're already thinking that he is insane. That's Didn't true. he go up the first day? I thought he was the one that the prosecutor called. Oh, yeah, I think he did. You're right. I think that the prosecutor just asked him, do you believe you're Santa yeah. Claus? <laughs> and then that was, like, his only question. Yeah, so, another, after, I guess, these witnesses, the trial is done... Which, again, my understanding of trials from TV and media, like, this seemed incredibly short. And then w the judge says he'll render his decision sometime tomorrow or in a couple of hours. He gives them a deadline mm -hmm. when he'll have a decision made. And he meets with Brian after hours when the courtroom is empty to discuss the ruling that he's coming up with. Like, that to me seems really not great. Yeah, I don't think... Well, it's a movie, so there's that. Right. But in the legal system, I don't think it's... I mean, even jury is not yeah. allowed to discuss the trial it outside would be, of the court. So It would be horribly unethical. Yeah. Especially to discuss it with the defense attorney and not the prosecuting attorney also yeah, present. Yeah, I guess you would want both of them. Well, and the fact that he says, I don't see a way I can rule in your favor unless you can right. tell me something else. Well, and it's like, well, that the, that's the point mm, of the trial is right. for him to explain. The side. guy should be there. All the evidence should be presented in the course of the trial. That's your only basis for the decision. Uh, though he goes to the extent to say, like, I don't want to charge your client, but I don't see any way around it. And I'm still not even sure how, well, I, I, so th we'll, the thing that we'll they get, get that they it. use to get around it, I'm like, I, I uh, get it, but I don't get it. It's <laughs> Oh, it's it's total BS. Though, the really bad acting here is by um, Dylan McDermott in the scene, where the judge has told him he doesn't see any way around it and is leaving the courtroom. And he challenges the judge. It's just like, well, it's just all about money to you, which is a wild thing to say because they haven't discussed money. Yeah, I don't know where that line came from. And then... To demonstrate what he's talking about, he takes out his wallet or his, like, money clip and starts, like, waving it in the air as if to say, 
See, this is money. This is this is all it's all about. You know what money is, right? But here's a visual reminder. And like, it seems like the only reason he does this is so that he can see the back of a dollar bill, which becomes relevant. Because when the judge renders his ruling, it is, um. well, no, he starts to render his ruling. And then Susan, out of nowhere, approaches him, like comes to his desk past the defense attorney, past the prosecuting attorney, uh, clearly in violation of court procedures, like somebody, maybe the bailiff, should have stopped her, surely, right? I mean, should have, maybe, maybe they're just like, oh, it's a little kid, what do we do about that? They don't know the rules, but, yeah, but some, so yeah, delivers, definitely should not have be allowed. <laughs> and she delivers this Christmas card to the judge, and the judge takes it, and Susan goes back to her seat, and the film needs the judge to open this, because there's the secret message. I think if I was the judge, I would just say, thank you, I would place it aside, and I would continue with the reading I was already doing. Yeah, I think I was waiting for him to just keep going and have Susan be like, well, or, or maybe Brian, aren't you going to read that or something? You know, like, right. like, I wouldn't have expected just to stop in the middle of his hearing and open the car just because she just handed it to him right and like the judge looks to brian and brian like gives him a wink or like a little wave which is a secret message between the, the defense attorney and the judge which is also super After unethical they had just talked to the night before without anyone else there he opens up the card and lo and behold it's a dollar bill with the words circled on the back in god we trust and so the judge's the judge throws aside his ruling. He has apparently pieced together this enigmatic message that Brian sent him in seconds, even though it would take maybe a bit more than that to see what he's trying to get to. Now, I but do remember the night before, in their mm -hmm. conversation, it was, I would like to not put this guy in jail, but I don't see a way around it, and he does mention it will take a miracle... And I don't, and I'm thinking, I mean, that's part of the thing about, about why it's in God we trust, but also because mm, right. it proves that people are willing to believe in something, even though we can't prove that it exists. And Right. So his argument is the dollar bill is a physical representation. It's the currency of America, currency of our government. Uh, government which is ruled by people and their beliefs and upon this currency the the backbone of our society is printed the words in god we trust and no it's so fundamental to the beliefs of the founding fathers of our country that we put it on one of the most important symbols in the land no court could rule upon whether or not god exists because it is fundamental to the um, to our democracy, the way that we have formed it. And he uses this as like, well, if our money can have in God we trust, then surely the state of New York can believe in Santa Claus. And yeah, like, yeah, it, it does yeah. very much seem like he's making this up on the spot. Yep. And it's a really loose argument. That's why I like my reason better. <laughs> <laughs> like people have faith in, re in different religions and religious figures and sure. some of them you may or may not be able to prove in court that they exist just like you can't prove if Santa Claus exists or not and that would be a good enough excuse which makes to me probably makes more sense than what he actually said <laughs> yeah 
And like, I get the argument that because of Cole's campaign, there's a large outcry of New Yorkers all professing belief in Santa Claus. And so with the city of New York coming together in a joint belief of Santa Claus, I get that he cannot rule that Santa does not exist. I don't know how that leads to be, I can't prove that Santa doesn't exist, so this guy could be Santa? Yeah, I don't- Like, imagine imagine the similar argument in the Supreme Court, where we can't prove God doesn't exist, therefore this person is God. Yeah, and I guess that's because you kind of forget what the reason behind the trial was in the first place. It's right. in trying to prove that this man is sane. Is, yeah. <laughs> or pr- because of who he believes he is. And just because I can't prove that competent? there's not a Santa Claus, that means this guy must be him. I mean, I guess you can't prove that this guy is not him, so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's true. So, I don't know if that's know. a good there's... argument, but... <laughs> I'm sure there is some legal term, which maybe one of our fans can tell us, about... Some weird Latin term that means, like, there are clearly things that aren't true that we all accept to be not true, even though nobody can prove them. And one of the things we all believe, as rational adults, is that Santa doesn't exist, even though we can't prove it. We all know that's true, and we all know that the idea of Santa is for children to delight them uh, during the Christmas season. Like, there's gotta be some legal term where just go, like, all the prosecuting attorney would have to do, well, by blah blah blah, this man cannot be Santa, thank you very much, Good night. <laughs> but it's, I think he gets away with it, this judge, because the prosecuting attorney also doesn't want to win? Like, at the end of the trial, well, after and the this whole city comes is out, like, Somehow, yeah, the, city, or the city, the whole state is, like, all yeah. invested in this, and everyone wants to believe that Santa, is, or that this guy is Oh, yeah, is trial Santa. of the century. More viewers than the O.J. Simpson trial. <laughs> yeah. When the announcement comes out, the bailiff goes to the window and opens it up and shouts out to the crowd, like, Santa won! And the crowd goes oh, crazy. I forgot and about that. It's like the whole Newsies scene all over again. All of Times Square is filled as if it's already the ball dropping at midnight on New Year's Eve. The prosecuting attorney comes over to the defense and, like, shakes his hand, which I understood to be, like, begrudging acceptance. I didn't win, but it was a good fight. And then he turns to Chris and just like, don't forget to stop at our house tonight. Yeah. As if the prosecuting attorney, based on this ruling, now believes this man actually is Santa. And he believes to such an extent that he thinks he pissed Santa off, and he needs to remind Santa, please give my children presents. And I don't remember who it was. Someone here at the at, right at the trial said something about wanting to hang out with Santa, like, let's go get a drink or something later, and Santa Claus is like, oh, yeah. I can't, I'll be busy tonight, wink wink. Right. <laughs> uh, so it was Brian asking if a ride home to his uh, retirement home. Yeah. He's like, well... I'll be very busy tonight. All right, so we we get through the trial, and really, from here on out, it's the denouement. Basically, we, um, well, gosh. Then- We gotta talk about the wedding. Yeah. This crazy wedding. Was that- that was after the trial, right? Yeah, because yes. it's after Christmas. The way it happens free, yes. is Dorothy- it's on Christmas Eve, where Dorothy goes home, and she has a letter, which she 
assumes is by Brian or like it's in Brian's handwriting. I, I don't thought know. that maybe it and was it, signed, but that wouldn't it wouldn't make sense because Brian didn't make it. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Basically it asks her, come to such and such church after midnight mass. Brian gets home and he has a similar similar letter in a similar envelope. Uh and so they both she arrives after midnight mass and like is walking up expecting to find Brian and a priest comes out. Uh and then Brian enters similarly confused about what is going on and the priest has the ring that Brian proposed with earlier and they're just gonna have a wedding with no witnesses also but well yeah i think there was an organist or somebody playing music well, which which is also funny because i'm pretty sure uh dorothy was already up at the altar place and brian enters and it starts playing the here comes the bride song i think huh. that was pretty good <laughs> but um my my question here where is susan did dorothy just oh, abandon her young daughter question. at the apartment well and like chris is watching her now i guess no chris is busy it's new year's <laughs> I, eve no, not no, new year's no. eve christmas eve i uh well and uh, again this happens really so they had their fight before when he proposed to her Santa, Santa, Chris Kringle talks to him afterwards and tries to console him, and he says, you take this ring and give it to somebody who could use it because I have no use for it now. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly this priest happens to have it. Yeah, like I get that Brian and Dorothy have kind of made up because Dorothy well, wanted to help Chris out. And she and was the Brian one who contacted be... him about right. So they have talked. Brian happens to be a great lawyer and she was there for the trial. They have talked once or twice since their fight. And I think they kind of are over it, but they're still not really friends. Like they haven't really been hanging out or or together really friendly right. since the i think i think the closest they get is that dorothy mentions to him after the trial uh you should come by um susan has really missed seeing you yeah like they're trying they're her, trying to make yeah. it make it work but they're not they haven't really seen and this each film other. supposes that if two people come together in a church and the priest is there and the priest has a ring they have to get married <laughs> It's just like, no. Well, Both of them and, can walk yeah, away the from this situation. The priest says, are we ready? And they're like, ready for what? <laughs> yeah, like, neither one of them know what's going on. Uh, and the scene cuts away. What I would love for that scene to continue, like, them just going through the motions of what the priest is doing, and neither one understanding they're getting married until the, the thing is over with and they're already married. But then they would have to say, I do, which would be kind of hard to right. do without without is, knowing what you're it is doing. such a leap of faith to suggest that these two people would get married in this situation given what we've seen of their relationship before now again but, this goes back to me believing they were already a thing before any of this happened because that would make it easier to get back together i would think because at least you know you have had some kind of background with them instead of just the neighbor who babysits though how weird is it if they were together uh, and then broke up and Brian got an apartment across the hall? 
why would they have but i i don't know i assumed that they were a thing all the whole time until she turns down the proposal so yeah i don't know to me this is an absurd relationship and it's moving magic getting these two people together anyway so we cut to christmas morning where susan comes out to her christmas tree expecting to find the presents that she's asked for which None of the things that she's asked for could have been wrapped up and put under the tree, but she goes looking for them anyways. And something about, like, she notices a reflection yeah, uh, well, from the tree, which leads to the reflection of a ring on her mom's finger. Dorothy is there drinking, like, a cup of coffee or hot cocoa or something, right. and there's a light sparkling around the room, and Susan's like, <gasps> and turns around and her mom has a ring on the finger. Yeah, and then Brian walks in in a robe, uh, suggesting that he spent the night there. Hmm, maybe questionable? Maybe you'd want to, like, run it by maybe, your well, daughter hey, if he, after if he getting is their married? neighbor, maybe he just walked across the hall in his robe. <laughs> well, <laughs> th- you're, for- you're forgetting about the third present. But yeah. well, uh, we progress. <laughs> uh, Dorothy is called into a photo shoot. For some reason, she brings Brian along, I guess because he's their husband now. Um, and the photo shoot is the annual one they do at this big house out in the country. Um, and Susan runs in, assuming that Santa has gotten this house for her, because that's what she asked for. And the mom is trying to tell her, well, it's not our house, it's for a photo shoot. And then a guy she works with is there, and he's putting her name on the mailbox. And he says, well, we got our bonuses because of you and Chris. So, I mean, if you want this house, you can buy it now. And she uh, apparently is an owner of a house now because Chris told this guy to do it and he listened to Chris even though Chris isn't even an employee of Kohl's anymore and then uh so that happens Susan's running around the house is just like I got two of my three wishes I guess I just gotta wait in the third <laughs> she goes upstairs to pick a bedroom the mom is like wait what was the third one she's like well I asked Santa for a baby brother and the two husband and wife now look at each other it's just like oh well they look at each other and then they look down at her stomach (laughs) right but how oh boy we'll we'll maybe get to this in games but like susan didn't or not susan susan asked for all of this but dorothy didn't ask for Mm -hmm. any of this well and that we kind of skipped over i think that part where susan wasn't sure whether she believed or not right and dorothy says well why don't you talk to chris Tell him what you want for Christmas, and if you get it, you'll know for sure that that he's Santa Claus, and if you don't get it, well, then you know that Santa doesn't exist or something. Right, the Santa test. And so she pulls out, was it a postcard or clipping from a magazine, something? She says, I want this house with this mom and dad together and also the brother that's in the picture. (laughs) Like, all these (laughs) things that she wanted, and so now that she gets all of them at the end... Well, I guess that means Santa does exist after the trial already ruled that he does. Well, like, that's a wild test. Like, I like her argument, because, like, after hearing her request for Christmas, where she wants a dad and a house and a brother, uh, Chris Kringle, who's babysitting out of time, is like, well, here's some problems with that. It, that's um, a big request. Or, uh, I think that's Yeah, what... like, uh, houses are very mm-hmm. expensive. Uh, number two, babies take time. 
Uh, and so we don't have time to get you a baby brother by Christmas. Uh, and like getting a father is kind of up to your mother, I would guess. Susan's response to this is, well, Santa is magic. <laughs> and if Santa can make reindeer fly, I don't see why he can't use magic to do this. Which is a pretty good argument. Chris's rebuttal could have been magic doesn't work that way, or like magic has rules or can only do certain things, but just like, in a kid's mind, is like, yeah, that totally makes sense. If magic is real, yes, this should be able to happen. Yeah, well, then it does, apparently. So, and that's what she said. She wants a baby brother, but, she, oh, no, I guess what she told the parents was, well, I got two of the three things. I guess I just have to wait for the third, which is kind of what Chris had told her, so. Oh, boy. All right, well, that's the end of the film. Uh, Let's go on to games. <laughs> first game is the pitch game a game in which we put together two or more properties in the form it's this meets this to describe this movie so mark you are going to start us off here telling us what miracle on 34th street is in terms of other things all right uh <laughs> i have some obscure movies that i'm hoping maybe you won't be able to guess but I also have some obscure movies. Oh, that sucks, because Sarah's not here to save us. Usually, if one of us can't think of it, she'll say it. <laughs> Alright, well, <clears throat> because this is a movie that sees Santa Claus working in a department store to help pay the bills, a rival store owner with devious plot to get Santa fired from his job, and in the end, Christmas Spirit helps save Santa from disaster just in time to deliver gifts to the world on Christmas Eve, and... A property where a couple falls in love in New York despite many differences of opinion and con contrasting ideas for raising a child. Starring Bargain Bin David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I'm sure you know the second yeah, one. Yeah, I think I do know the second one, though. Wait, no, the movie I was thinking of is set in Chicago. <gasps> um, I mean, anyway. Um talk about that uh, i didn't say that one... the second one was a movie i said a property yeah yeah then i i have a good guess though <laughs> i don't know why it would be bargain bin david schwimmer Th this movie is <laughs> oh this movie i see so for the first one i had two guesses it was either bad santa or Ernest saves christmas those are both incorrect oh dang it i wish i had found a way to put Ernest saves christmas in i probably could have but i didn't sure all right, Santa at a department store. Trying to think of where another Santa would be. Okay, is this in the world of that film? Is Santa the real Santa? Yes. I don't know. Um, I don't it's know a movie from one. 1966. That tells me nothing. That could be anything. <laughs> it was not a good movie. <laughs> that also oh. doesn't tell you anything. Bad Santa. <laughs> Uh, well... Oh, wait, uh, is this a holiday classic film? It is a holiday film, I don't know if I would call it a classic, but it was 1966, so... Alright, then I, I might not know it. I'm guessing the second one is Friends. The second one is Friends, the first one is The Christmas That Almost Wasn't. Oh, I do not know that film. You should go watch it, just because. <laughs> 
just so I could see a Santa almost I get fired. Really, the whole time I was watching this movie, I was I was like, oh, this sounds this is so much similar to this other movie that I know, and I had to go look it up to figure out what the title of it was. But it, it, the plot is seemed so similar to me that they just had to be in here. So for the listeners, that was the Christmas that almost wasn't meets friends. Mm-hmm. All right, my first one here. Uh, since this is a movie with a man forming a relationship with a single mother who has repeatedly rebuked him and a character finding ways to serve the community with his gift of languages and then being declared mentally unfit. Meets. A movie where a character is discovered off the street and chosen to join a production about to begin who goes on to play the starring role for a very successful season. I also kind of chose both of these movies based on names, which will become evident later. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, what is that thing? Now I'm trying to think of Broadway shows with with names. Mm-hmm. One of these is a Broadway show. Yeah, the... is it the second one? Yes. Um, in fact, the second features prominently in the title. Yeah, it's thir- something about 34, right? <laughs> Nope. No. Why? Isn't it something about a street? It is about a street. You're close enough. It's 42nd Street. I knew it was a numbered street. I just couldn't think of what it was. I mean, there's a four in there. Uh, I was trying to give you a hint with, like, the second. 42nd. Anyway. I'm sure Sarah would have gotten it in about half a second. Oh, for sure. Uh, Is the first one more obscure-ish? Or should I actually yes. know it and don't? It is a little obscure. I wouldn't say it's super popular, but, like, it's a movie that I've known for a long time, which doesn't help me judge how well you would know it. But it is a Christmas movie. No. Oh. Nothing in my description was about Christmas. Well, I just, because you said it was more about the name of the movie, so I was thinking, Ah. since one of them was a street, the other one must be Christmas something in the title, or a miracle or something. Ah. Yes, it's Miracle-esque. Do you know a film? Is it just Miracle, the hockey movie? I tried to get that to work. (laughs) I I wanted so bad to make that work. Uh. Um, So I'm with a cinnamon. Cinnamon? Cinnamon? Cinnamon. A cinnamon of Miracle. Um, So if you, this is a giveaway hint, unless you do not know this film. Uh, Do you know a film with... John Travolta and superpowers. Phenomenon. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so this was, uh, Phenomenon on 42nd Street. Ugh. See, now you're not actually, you're mixing things together to make puns instead of just putting yes. them in there. <laughs> but both films I made work. Yeah, yeah. All right, go ahead with your second one. So mine, again, not based on the titles necessarily, but I kind of have a theme where it, you'll discover that that all of them are kind of related to this based on the holiday, and then one of them is and one of them isn't, which may give things away, but maybe it won't. Because this is a Christmas film set in New York, where main character is thought to be crazy, but in the end, the protagonists learn to believe in Santa Claus all over again, meets a movie with Richard Attenborough in a lead role, where a character who felt he was betrayed decides to strike back, which causes others to question Attenborough's abilities to do what he promises, and causes him to doubt in himself. 
All right, so pretty sure other than the second one, just because it's the only other Richard Attenborough <laughs> film I know, uh, which is Jurassic Park. Oh, um, let's see. Um, I had to add it in just because. I know. I'm forgetting the specifics on the first one. <gasps> uh, Christmas movie in New York. They think one guy is crazy, but they all believe in Santa Claus in the end. Oh, is it Elf? Hooray! <laughs> yeah. I just rewatched that the other See, day. See, I keep making mine so easy for you. I'm going to have to make yeah. really weird I'm. Ones. I was planning on doing a more obscure one second, but I'll leave that to last and go to my third oh, one great. here. Uh, so... <clears throat> Since this is a film starring Richard Attenborough, who plays a man with an outrageous belief, but who finds people to fund it, and he becomes the leader of a wonderful land that delights children. That is, <laughs> until things go wrong. And a film starring Mara Wilson as a young girl of a single mother. Uh, Robert Prosky as a man who decides whether or not someone is fit to play a role, and a man losing himself in being a character. Mm-hmm. So, Jurassic Park meets Mrs. Doubtfire? Correct. Hey, I actually got some things for once. <laughs> Huzzah. Uh, I never, whenever we do these, I think Sarah always ends up getting most of them because I don't Yeah, know. she's very quick. All right. Uh, so my last one. Uh, because it's a Christmas film with a theme of faith over hard evidence, where a child meets Santa Claus and still needs more convincing in order to believe that Santa is real, meets a movie where a trial takes place in which the defendant is accused of insanity following a horrific beating of a human being. Whew, that could be so many things. I, I will not um, be surprised if you don't get the second one. <laughs> Alright, so meeting Santa, faith over evidence... Uh, is this a movie we've done before? No. Okay. I, don't think so. I was I thinking it could be the Santa Claus, but that doesn't work out then. No. Um, hating Santa, but still needing faith. I mean, I want to say this one is Ernest Meets Christmas. Uh, <laughs> or no. Ernest Saves Christmas. I wish Christmas. I had put that in here somewhere. I actually thought about it and didn't use it, so. I might need hints on this one. Oh boy. They travel to the North Pole. Oh, the Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> there's one character that plays multiple roles in the same movie. Oh, okay. Um, the one Polar actor, Express. not character. Polar Express. Hooray! Yeah, all right. The other one and then, is... Yeah, I don't know it. You're, yeah, it's from 1959. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless it's 12 Angry Men. No, no idea. No, it's called Anatomy of a Murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that does sound very familiar, but I've never seen it. Oh, so that was Polar Express meets Anatomy of a Murder, even though I nice. guess no one was actually killed in this movie. but Well, not from lack of trying. <laughs> so, my most obscure ones here. I'm pretty sure you might know one of them. Okay. Anyway. Here we go. <clears throat> Since this is a film about a man who has some very strange beliefs about himself, uh, who goes to a mental hospital that tries to test his mental competency. The ongoing question throughout the film is whether he is who he claims to be, although he provides cogent answers with his beliefs, and the film ends without a definitive answer. Meets 
a movie about a branch of a national chain in financial trouble because of another evil national chain that's trying to steal their business. The good branch is saved by a low-level employee who doesn't follow company policy but brings people in regardless. Also, the bad chain wears futuristic gray uniforms. I really want the second one just to be the 1947 version of Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> oh, sorry, buddy. But that's it is not, not obscure enough, so... No. Uh... Yeah? All right. Um, Are there hints which, for those? Cause I yeah, which one? Won't know. Especially if you purposely picked really obscure ones. I didn't. I picked movies that fit. It's just that... Well, but I mean, you said they were obscure. So, this time, right, right. So. so this film, while watching it, made me think of these films. And they are staples for me, but I acknowledge that they weren't, like, super popular movies. So, like, not everyone would have seen them, if that makes sense. Anyway, um, so for the first one, uh, which was Man, Very Strange Beliefs, Goes to a Mental Hospital. Um, the belief he has is that he is an alien. Um, my favorite Martian. No. Um, <laughs> let's see. Stars Kevin Spacey and Jeff Bridges. The I have not seen it. All right. <laughs> that uh, I know for sure. <laughs> yes. It is a movie called K-Pax. Oh, you know, I have heard of it. I've never seen it. Um, is it Paul? <laughs> That's the, the, that's the other one I was thinking of with an alien in it, but... Ah, uh, well, that... Paul is clearly an alien. If Paul that's didn't true. believe he was an alien, <laughs> then he would go to a mental hospital. Um, now, I... Hmm. So the second one with a good and bad uh, national chain, I'll say that both chains are fast food. Good burger. It is good burger. Uh, <laughs> so that was K-Pax meets good burger. Yeah, specifically the, um, when they go to Shoppers Express to show, like, the employees who play with the, the guns that shoot out gum, like, those <laughs> outfits were redistant, re ridiculous. Redistant. It reminded me a lot of, like, uh, Mondo Burger in Good Burger. You said, well, and I started thinking, for some reason, the first thing that popped into my head when you were talking about uniforms, I wanted to say Logan's Run, and I'm like, that huh. has nothing to do with two different chain companies. So. Yeah, I, it's been a while since I've seen Good Burger. Oh, it's bad. I haven't seen it in a while, but last time I watched it, I reminded myself how bad it was. I remember seeing it with my sister when I was probably middle school or high school, and we thought it was hilarious. Oh, yeah. But I can I look back it, at it like... now and say it was terrible. <laughs> So. Oh, yeah, yeah. I watched it being a huge fan of all that and being able to see the characters that I loved up on a big screen. That was amazing. That, uh, and Keenan and Kel, that was a fun show. Or shall I say Kel and Keenan? Because you gotta watch Keenan because Keenan be scheming. With a plan or a plot, he makes it to the top, but he's always in the middle because he's always getting caught. Look what we started. Uh-huh. Alright, uh, so, let's go on to our second game, which is Alternate Tagline, a phrase you would see on the movie poster for the film that encapsulates the theme, though possibly misses the point. So, Mark, you're gonna once again start us off here, <laughs> telling our audience, mm -hmm. uh, what the theme is of Miracle on 34th Street. Well... This does not miss the theme at all, but it goes Great. along with something that I've talked about a few times already. 
which most people may or may not recognize, and, and thus I explain it, but we'll see. So this is Miracle on 34th Street, the one where Santa Claus is put on trial. Ha! <laughs> yep. I get it. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> Uh, mine, uh, my first one here is based off another, um, very famous thing about questioning, uh, the existence of Santa. Um, and it is Miracle on 34th Street. Yes, Susan, there is a Santa Claus, and he has anger issues. Hmm. Uh, yep. So, my next one, again, is not, doesn't really miss the point, but also is references something else that we've talked about miracle on 34th street christmas is saved by a clever girl ah <laughs> i have a very similar one um <laughs> which is miracle on 34th street they were so preoccupied with uh, whether he <laughs> could be santa they didn't stop to think if he should be santa i'm so glad that we both have this <laughs> this is why sarah needs to be here otherwise everything we say is just the same thing <laughs> <laughs> I know, she really breaks up the monotony. Oh, boy. Uh, I do have one more. I think you only had two taglines. I, I, have... I have three. I have two guide games. Oh, I didn't even look up the real ones. but That's uh... all right. So my third one, <clears throat> Miracle on 34th Street. Crime is okay if enough people believe in you. <laughs> Oddly enough, my third one is also pretty similar to that, <laughs> which is Miracle on 34th Street. If you believe hard enough, you can ignore the truth. Oh, jeez. Again, this is why we need Sarah. <laughs> I know. Oh, oh. Did you right. I did you look up the real ones or are we just going I to ignore not. those? I think we Yeah, we're just going to skate past them. Usually Sarah does them because she doesn't prepare. All right. So moving on to our third game, which is the TV guide game, a description of the plot of the film you'd see in a TV guide or Netflix description, which is accurate, though possibly misses the point. So, Mark, start us off uh, with what is the plot of Miracle on 34th Street? When Cole's department store finds the perfect department store Santa Claus, they spare no expense to make him the face of the company for the holidays. I can't see your face, but don't look at me like I'm trying to figure out what was missing the point about that. It's not. All I right. just wanted to put spare no expense into it somewhere. Ah, okay. Alright, so, oh, I see. For the Jurassic Park, hey. sure. For, okay. <laughs> I got you now. Alright, uh, my first one here. <clears throat> a lonely old man with mental problems and a history of violence becomes the only hope for the future of a large multinational corporation, which survives by feeding into his psychosis and profiting off of it. That doesn't really miss the point either, does it? It well, it doesn't make <laughs> you feel good about this feel-good movie. That, so maybe that, it does. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Some years after the events you know and love, Santa Claus convinces Ross and Rachel to give their relationship another try. Good God! Wow, you're really <laughs> digging deep into the friends. I, I huh? told you. <laughs> Like, as soon as he came on screen, that was the only thing I could think about. I would say Dylan McDermott is more charming in this film than Ross ever was. That's true, but just looking at his face every time. Fair. Alright, my final one here. Um, 
A woman goes thousands of dollars into debt, marries a man she has repeatedly refused, and gets knocked up just so her daughter can get everything she wants for Christmas. But of course, Santa gets all the credit. Mm-hmm. People can't see me nodding my head, I guess, so I have to actually yep. say something. Non-verbal assent <laughs> will not communicate over a podcast. Maybe we should... No, we should not do video. Oh, uh, no, I would not do video. Uh, I have one left, I think. Yes. One more... When a department store Santa claims to be the real Santa Claus, everyone begins to think he is insane. But a simple review of his employment contract would reveal there is really a Santa D clause. Ba 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 ba. That's bad. <laughs> yep. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh. Uh, speaking of his contract, they do look at it at one point in the film, and like he's filled it in with all the Santa answers. Like for where were you born? He's written North Pole. Like. I don't know if they're paying him, because I don't think he filled out the paperwork right. So, but he... I guess that's true. And he lives in a retirement home. Does I, You still have to pay rent for something like that, right? I guess, if you don't have any family. So, like, it give you a place to be... I don't know. I don't know how that works. Like, he needs to earn money. I mean, didn't you do? Didn't you used to live in a retirement home? Oh yeah, but that was before I regenerated. So I mean, it's all uh, my past life. I never remember. Like I had companions back then, and I never remember. I, well, I never go I, back to see I, them. I, I, I was referring to your old apartment building. <laughs> oh, I see. It wasn't just a joke about nothing that I made it out to be. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah. It jokes was about nothing are fine, too, though, I guess. Alrighty. So let's go on to our review scale, uh, starting, of course, with our infamous potato scale, telling people um, the feelings that they'll feel watching this film in terms of our relationship with potatoes. Mark, start us off, because as always, I need to look mine up. Oh, but I don't? Well... I famously I, don't prepare this. Actually, yeah, I did actually write something down for this one. So, um, I, our potatoes do not fully, I don't know if we had one that really fit for me for this movie. However, uh, I, like I said, since I haven't seen it before, it's kind of hard to go back and say it's different than what it was when I was growing up, because I don't remember watching it when I was growing up. But... I had seen parts of the original one and remembered not really liking it and thinking that the whole thing was Santa on trial, where this one, he was barely in the court at all. So I did put sweet potatoes, which is not as expected, because having not seen it before, I guess I didn't have a lot of expectations, <laughs> but I thought I knew what it was going to be about, and it was a bit different than what I was expecting to see. So I did sweet potatoes, not as expected. Uh, I also had mashed potatoes, which you may or may not disagree with, but, uh, you know, it's a Christmas movie, a holiday movie, they always want to end with everybody feeling good and, and everything goes the way you want for the protagonist or the hero, whoever you want to say, and in the end, you know, he, he quote, wins the trial, I guess, and Susan gets all of the gifts that she wants, and it proves that Santa must be real, so it's a big happy ending so that you get those holiday feels. And for us, the mashed potatoes is the homey, heartwarming type of movie. 
Um, and it, I, I think most holiday movies, that's what they're shooting for in the end. So I, I had to include that one. So I guess it would be a mashed sweet potatoes. Okay. I don't hate that food. Um, <laughs> I don't agree with the, the rulings. However, uh, because in my mind, the reason I chose this one is because I hadn't seen it before and that, uh, it's been in the back of my mind is like one of those classic Christmas films. Like it is, uh, a staple of some people's Christmases. They watch it every year. If they're going to do a Christmas marathon, this is one of the movies that gets tossed around. Um, and having not seen it, I wanted to see if it was good or not. So with that in mind, um, my first one was a box potatoes. I guess I expected more out of this film, given like how much it gets quoted as being like a Christmas staple. Um, and really that leads into my second one, which is reheated fries, uh, which started out good and didn't keep it up because what it's, what it's leading to, what it builds towards is this trial. And in this movie, this trial feels so rushed. Like, he's, it's so big for the city of New York that they need to band together and believe in Santa Claus. Uh, and yet, like, the thing that they're believing in, the thing that they're supporting, it's almost an equal amount of time of us seeing the city get behind him as much as it is him in trial. And I think for it to make sense with the, I, I think, the way you've described the previous movie makes more sense. The trial is the entire film and not condensed into like 10 or 15 and, minutes. And, you know, I could be making that completely up since I haven't seen it in forever. But that, yeah, I would agree. It'd be interesting to see, since you have downloaded the original one, if you went back and watched that and see if you liked it better. Or, or if that's even that how it and is. And <laughs> forgot. Um, so, and then my final potato that I'm going to throw on is I... I've mentioned throughout this entire recording that the relationship between Brian and Dory in this film is not above board with what I understand their previous relationship to be. Like, it is incredibly rushed, and maybe that's due to Christmas magic. Um, but the fact that when he proposed, Dory told him specifically, have I ever given you any indication that I wanted to marry you? And the answer was no. And then his response is, well, I've loved you asking nothing in return, and now this is what I'm asking for. It's just, ugh, it was so cringy to watch that, and then, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me that they get together. And, like, that, the relationship that the film wants you to accept as normal to me was troubling, based upon the relationship that they established earlier in the film. So... I guess altogether, mine would be boxed, reheated fries made of black potatoes. <laughs> I I can see all of that. I mean, I I wrote down all my things like immediately after finishing the movie, and yeah, I I I think that all those holiday movies are always going for that feel good thing at the end, so which is why I had mashed potatoes. But I could definitely see why people would not agree with that. <laughs> So, yours all makes sense. And let's move on to our rewatchability scale, a more traditional scale from 0 to 10, telling our audience should they go back and watch this film. 
And audiences might notice a pause here as both Mark and I review our previous ratings to see which rating we will give this film. Well, I had already reviewed previous ratings. Ooh, so all right, go ahead. I uh, actually, um, I think it's interesting, though, now that we've done so many movies, we instead of just rating it what we think it is, we go and rate it based off of other movies that we have rated. Well, I find it very useful. Because, yeah, like, I, I think it's almost easier this way because I can be like, hey, I liked it better than this movie, worse than this movie, so here's a number for it, instead of just trying to make something up. More than the the numbers to me, I look at the um, just the titles and how I feel about looking back at those titles, like... And I compare them to this movie. It's like, okay, what, which one would I rather watch? And so, like, it doesn't give me an exact score, but does kind of give me a range of values to choose from. Like, right now, looking back, I'm between a six and a seven right now. Um, uh, so why don't you go ahead and give your actual rating while I decide? Yeah, that is exactly what I was going to say before you started to say it. Like, just, just, and like you said, I, I look at the numbers, but I also look at the titles there and I'm like, well, would I like it better than this movie or worse than this movie? And if I had to choose between these two, which one would I pick? And that's exactly the same thing. I had originally in my head had it near a seven, but I'm looking at some of these that I had at six and a half that I would choose over this movie. So I'm probably now in the lower six range. Um, I think <laughs> maybe even I, I would probably just say six even based on some of the other things I have in there. Uh, just that some of those I would definitely watch before this one, but I don't want to put it too much lower than that, because I think it is better than average, and it's something that I could see watching. I probably wouldn't watch it every Christmas, but, you know, if you have, you're in that holiday mood and want to watch all the Christmas movies that you can during the month of December, it's one that you may want to watch, so I would put it higher than the middle range of a five, but definitely lower than some other movies that I've seen at six and seven. So I think right at an even six is where I would end up with this one. Yeah, I'm not too far off of that. I'm looking at the titles. Uh, the two that I, I went up to the ones I have rated as a seven and like compared them, how I feel about this movie to how I feel about those. And seven was a bit too high. Um, and then going down a bit, I found two movies I feel pretty much exactly the same about as I feel about this movie. Um, and both of them are 6.7. So that's going to be my review. But for our audience, those two movies that I feel the, the exact same about are, um, it is Heart and Souls and Vertigo, both of which got a 6.7 and that fits perfectly. With how I feel about Miracle on 34th Street. You know, so there you go. What's interesting about that is looking at my numbers, the reason that I put it at the even six was I had Vertigo at an even six. <laughs> and, and I figured, you know what, I may actually prefer to watch Vertigo over this movie, but I don't want to put this one lower than the six, so it just must be exactly the same thing. There you go. Alrighty, so this is the end of our reviews. That is normally where Sarah would tell you where you can find us online if you choose to do so. Uh, can I? I have a surprise oh, yes. thing. That's um, right. 
I was going to ask you about it, and then I forgot. All right, so I prepared a little surprise on this episode for no reason at all, except that the first couple lines popped into my head one morning when I got out of bed, and I decided <laughs> to finish the rest of it as best as I could. So, t'was the month before Christmas, and up in New York, a man named Kris Kringle was looking for work. The streets were all flooded with floats and balloons, and a fake Santa Claus fresh from the saloons. <laughs> when True Father Christmas discovered the sot, he berated the man and soon took his spot. Millions of onlookers watched with delight as Kris Kringle's Christmas spirit shone so bright. Across the city, all the stores were aware they needed this Santa to help sell their wares. Cole's department store quickly gained his service, which made other store owners very nervous. Despite his daily job as Santa at the store, Kringle convinced Susan to believe once more, and although Susan's mother was lost and sad, she believed this store Santa could get her a dad. When a rival CEO staged a beating, poor Chris Kringle became jobless and reeling. But just when the going began to look grim, Chris Kringle's lawyer won the trial for him. Soon after St. Nick had escaped from this plight, he had to get going and vanished from sight. He said ere he left for his annual flight, Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. But this is not where the Chris Kringle tale ends, for he made promises to his new friends. Susan got a new dad and told her mother that she couldn't wait till she had a brother. Oh boy, I thought that, <laughs> I thought it had ended three separate times yep. before it did, but, <laughs> bravo, I, honestly, I was, I've seen many renditions of the Twas the Night Before Christmas, adapted to other things, and I think your rhymes were much better than the easy rhymes a lot of people <laughs> go with. Hooray! <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's not quite as long as the original, but there were parts of this story that I just kind of skipped over. I I, I just kind of liked how it flowed, so. Uh, I'm surprised it didn't work in, uh, Arose Such a Clatter. Um, I, like I wanted the, to. Uh, the Santa Claus. Yeah, and I, uh, surprisingly enough, I've watched all three Santa Claus movies in the past week. So, the first one is definitely the best, but I don't know if I had ever seen the other two, so... No, I I would never watch the third. Alright, well, now it is time for where you can find us online, should you choose to do so. Our website is retrograding. No, it's fireside.retrograding.com. You can tell that I don't normally do this. Uh, we have a Facebook page, which is just retrograding, uh, retrograding podcast. And then we have another group, which is retrograding party line. Um, and I think that's all you can find us online. And then our music is done by Dominique Barnes, who continues to be great. And that leads us into our final segment, which is, guys, I learned something today. And the, uh, the major lesson that I can take from this film is, Something I immediately thought while watching it, and something that I'm going to keep in mind for, hmm, could be the rest of my life. So it's something <laughs> our audience can mull over for the coming month into our next episode, which is do not propose on the first date. It doesn't go well. All right, and that is going to end this episode of Retrograding. We will catch you guys next time. Still not convinced it was the first date. Oh, for sure it was. Oh.